Welcome to the DaVinci Hour podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maxwell Cooper, and in this podcast series, I interview physicians, medical innovators, and entrepreneurs making an impact on healthcare. This podcast is produced by DaVinci Academy, a multimedia medical education company that provides podcasts, video courses, and digital textbooks. You can see more on our website, www.dbiacademy.com and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash DaVinci Academy Med. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the DaVinci Hour podcast. I'm honored this week to be joined by Dr. Tiffany Moon, an anesthesiologist in Dallas, Texas, and on the faculty at UT Southwestern there. And then she was also a cast member of Bravo TV's uh, Real Housewives of Dallas. And then has subsequently been involved in a number of other uh, media roles and then also an entrepreneur as well. So Dr. Moon, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Hi, Max. Thanks for having me. Sure, sure, of course. So I gave you a little bit of an introduction, but maybe tell us a little bit about your background, where you went to school, where you trained and kind of what your current practice looks like. Sure. Um, I'm originally, well, I was born in China. I came to the United States when I was six years old. Um, We moved to Texas when I was in grade school, finished um, high school here, went to college at Cornell in Ithaca, New York, Um, went to medical school here in Dallas at UT Southwestern, left to go to anesthesia residency at UCSF, and then came back as faculty. So I'm sort of all over the place. Yeah, that's quite a, uh, that's quite a resume too. Um, so I guess what made you come to UT Southwestern? Was it just the the program or was did you have ties to the area? Yeah. I mean, my parents lived in Dallas when I was in college at Cornell. And so when I was applying to go to medical school, I had actually gotten into Columbia and Cornell, which were in New York City. And then I looked at the cost of tuition and how much it would be to live in the city for four years. And then I looked at the tuition of Southwestern, which I swear, like back when I was in med school, 2004, was like, $10,000, something like that. Wow. And it was, I know it's crazy. Um, and I was, and my dad, you know, bribed me. He was like, if you come back to Dallas, I'll pay for your apartment. And I was like, oh, no brainer. So I went to medical school at Southwestern. It was such a good education, honestly, the best four years of my life. And I took out loans for tuition and books and stuff, but my parents paid for my apartment and I had like maybe $90,000 of debt by the time I graduated instead of like 250. Yeah, no, that's, that's a pretty good deal. Um, yeah, I I don't blame you for that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so you're a practicing anesthesiologist and you're on the faculty there now at where you went to med school, which is really cool. Um, I'm curious, you know, anesthesia is a very broad field. What are there any particular areas you focus on? And then do you work with the residents? Do you uh, teach or have uh, research uh, endeavors that you're working on as well? Yeah. So my areas of interest are thoracic and vascular anesthesia. So I always joke that I don't know what an ASA one or two patient looks like, because when I pull up my patients pre-op, like sometimes I have to scroll on their past medical history because it's more than one page. Um, I routinely deal with uh, ASA threes and fours. And although my hospital doesn't have a bariatric program any longer, I do specialize in taking care of patients with obesity. I've published and done a lot of research on that topic. So again, um, no ASA ones and twos for me. 
That's awesome. <laughs> um, well, I work in IR, so we definitely utilize, I think, anesthesia from time to time. And we always appreciate your guys' help. And I've heard uh, cardiothoracic uh, anesthesia, that's that's pretty uh, pretty demanding work from what I hear and some pretty interesting physiology, which is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I do a lot of the lung surgery cases. And so all those oh, wow. patients um, need single lung ventilation since the surgeons generally don't like a moving target. So um, we put in double lumen tubes or bronchial blockers. And so, you know, always comes with a little um, bit extra airway management. And I do work with residents for most of my cases because they're good teaching cases. Um, usually I run two operating rooms every day. So the interesting room is staffed by a resident because they need um, to be learning and doing those interesting cases. And then hopefully the non-interesting room, which is like feet, lab coles, you know, bread and butter cases is staffed by one of our CRNAs. Um, but sometimes the not interesting room becomes the interesting room. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Going off that, how did you get involved with the Real Housewives of uh, Dallas? And was that was TV something you had done before or media appearances? Or was that kind of a whole new like avenue you went down? And because I mean, clinical practice can keep you busy enough. And like you, we were talking about before, you're a mother and, you know, have a husband and stuff. So that I'm sure you're already pretty busy as it was. <laughs> yeah, I was very busy by anyone's standards, working full time um, with twin toddlers at home and a husband who is an entrepreneur and used to travel a lot pre-COVID. So I had no such aspirations of being on TV. It was not in, you know, my purview at all. Um, but the way these shows work is you kind of have to know somebody who is already on the show and they're always sort of like looking for new blood. Um, and my friend Deandra had been on the show since several, uh, since season two of Dallas, which I think was like 2017 or 2016. And I had been to several of her events that she had had previously where they were filming. So there was cameras, I had a sign and appearance release, all that sort of stuff. And I guess one of the producers or something like took a liking to me, or I said something funny while they were filming. And so they said to my friend, like, Hey, who's that? And she's like, Oh, that's my friend Tiffany. And they're like, Oh, well, does she want to be on the show? So she asked me like in 2018 or 19. And I was like, no freaking way. Like I don't watch reality TV. I don't want to be on reality TV. I'm not a housewife, you know, by the traditional sense. I'm a full-time doctor and I have these twin toddlers at home. Like I'm a little busy in case you can't tell. And she was like, no, it'll be fun. It's, it's fabulous. You'll make all these new girlfriends and they pay for us to go on a fabulous international trip every year. And you'll get invited to fashion week. And don't you want to show America that you can be like a serious, smart doctor, but still, you know, let your hair down and, you know, be funny and fashionable. And I was like, you know what? Like, you're right. Like, why, why can't you be both? Um, so over a period of time, about three years, actually, she convinced me to have a call with the casting directors. And I honestly had no idea. Even when I was interviewing with casting, I was like, I'm not really sure I want to do this. My friend sort of talked me into it. Um, I'm still working as a full-time physician and all this stuff. And I just, I never really thought that they would pick me. So when they called me in early 2020 and said, we want you to be the new housewife of Dallas, I was like, oh, no, <laughs> now I have to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those where you're you're kind of, you know, doing it for fun and then wondering if, you know, they'll actually pick you or not. So that's that's actually really cool. I mean, were you the first physician to be uh, on 
on one of the, you know, I know they've done like Orange County and New York and, and some other places. Were you the first physician to be on the show? I think so. I'm pretty sure. Um, I wouldn't bet my life on it, but I will say with like 95% accuracy that I think I'm the first medical doctor housewife. That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, know, I, I think there, I think there was one that was maybe married to a plastic surgeon, but she herself was not, was not a physician. Oh, well, I'm sure there's plenty that are married yeah. to plastic <laughs> surgeons. <laughs> yeah. Not quite the same thing. Yeah. Especially out in Orange County or places like that. <laughs> or Miami. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, uh, that's just fascinating. You know, that you, you know, it seems like you almost reluctantly got pulled into it and then, you know, obviously it, the show became a success and everything. I guess, how was that, you know, did you have to talk to your like clinical practice? Like, how did you fit that in with like, like you said, you were a full-time doctor, you're managing a household, you know, how's, how did that all work with, you know, the TV crew and everything like that? Yeah. Um, I think what people don't realize is that uh, filming is scheduled. It's not like they're just always in your house. There's cameras, you get home and you're like, Oh, hello. <laughs> like, you know, like Tuesday, we're going to be at your house from four to 8 PM. We're going to film a scene with your family. And then Saturday, so-and-so is going to have a barbecue. So block out this time to this time. It's totally scheduled. Um, and actually principal filming is only 12 weeks. People think it's this like year long thing that happens. It's not, it's 12 weeks. And so for 12 weeks, I basically was a doctor in the hospital or filming for housewives. Like I was not a very good wife during those 12 weeks. And I was not a very good mom during those 12 weeks. I was working like two full-time jobs and that's it. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Uh, <laughs> I mean, did you have to like scale your clinical practice back at all or, or did you nope. just, just somehow <laughs> nope. made it, made it work? I, <laughs> I did every single shift that was scheduled. I took on extra shifts. Um, and yeah, I was full-time practicing, never missed a day of work, never called in late because I knew that I was under a microscope at work. And so I knew that, you know, I couldn't be like, oh, I was up late filming and, you know, not call in or call in sick the next day or anything. Um, and I've been at UT Southwestern. This is my 10th year. I can't believe it. And I think wow. if you look at our um, scheduling software, I've called in a sick a number five days in the last 10 years. Wow. And none impressive. of those days were during Housewives filming. <laughs> <laughs> so I did all my clinical work and filmed for 12 weeks. And trust me, that was like the worst 12 weeks ever. <laughs> but you know what? It, I was like, give me a break. Like I went to UCSF for residency. Like that's not a cakewalk. You know, mm -hmm. I used to take Q3 ICU call, Q3 OB call. I think one day I put in like 16 epidurals in like a 30 hour time period. And I was like, if I can take call and take care of patients and be lucid, like surely I can, you know, hang out with a bunch of drunk housewives and <laughs> film at night. You know, I was like, it's fine. It's fine. So I did not miss a beat clinically. That's, that's really interesting. You know, it's, yeah, it's funny how clinical training, you have kind of an extra gear in there you didn't realize you had, <laughs> you know, I recently did like an overnight shift and then got on a plane and went to a wedding that I was in later that afternoon. And everyone's like, how are you still up and everything? And it's, I was like, you know, this is just what we do. <laughs> it is. It is just what we do. That's funny. So I guess, how was the experience? Did you, did you enjoy doing that? Was it, was it something that you felt like, did you make new friends or at, when it was all said and done, how were your kind of your feelings about it? 
you know, I wish I could sit here and tell you that it was a lovely experience, but for anyone who's watched any of season five of Dallas, you will know that it was not. Um, I talked to exactly the same people now that I did before I was on the show, which is really just my friend Deandra that um, was the one who got me on the show. The other ladies, the way I sort of explain it to people who haven't seen it is like, have you seen that movie Mean Girls or heard of it? Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. it felt just like that. I felt like mm -hmm. I had walked on the set of Mean Girls. Um, they all knew each other. I was the only new girl. I was also the only woman on the cast who worked outside of the home. Some of them have their sort of businesses, their own, you know, skincare jewelry lines, but they didn't have the job where you have to go somewhere and check in and have a supervisor. They're all CEOs of their company. And I'm not saying that that's not hard because I'm an entrepreneur as well, but it's different. It's sure. different than waking up at 6 a.m. and going to the OR. It's just different. And from the very beginning that the camera started rolling, I just did not feel any warmth from them. There were little snide remarks. Um, I was called COVID girl because I worked in the hospital. I was pushed into a swimming pool with all my clothes and makeup and hair that I had paid to get done. It was just, um, you know, juvenile mean girl things that happened. And so it did get a little bit better as the season grew. I started to try to make some friendships with the women, but um, at the end of the day, it just uh, didn't really work out. No, I can imagine that's hard. You're you're the new person, like joining the group, and you know, and it's just like you said, people can be so catty, and it's it's unfortunate. Even you know, we're grown adults and everything, and people still can't, you know, be welcoming to people. So that's uh, that's that's too bad. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but I guess, I guess um, have you been able to, I guess, see new opportunities available to you or, you know, pursue new endeavors as a result of that that have been really interesting? Yeah, for sure. I mean, people sometimes ask me if I regret doing the show because of the negative experiences that I had. And I'm like, no, I don't, because I learned so much about myself and it was such an enlightening opportunity. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful for the opportunity to the network and the production company. And it really has opened up a lot of doors for me. Shortly after the show ended, I was asked to MC for like a um, comedy show. So I got to open with a few jokes of my own and then introduce other other comedians for the night. Um, I've gotten some speaking gigs as a result of it. My social media like blew up as a result of the show. All of a sudden one day, my stepdaughter at the time, I think was 16 years old and we were sitting at the dinner table and she goes, oh my God, you're verified on Instagram. And I was like, huh? You know, <laughs> I didn't really care about social media that much. Um, and she goes, yeah, you got the blue check mark. And I was like, how did that happen? And she's like, I don't know. Did you do something? And I was like, I didn't do a thing. So I don't know how it happened. Bravo must like submit names or something. But all of a sudden I had a blue check mark next to my name, which apparently if you're 16 is a big deal. <laughs> um, and, and my followers just grew like while the show was on every week, you know, whenever I would check into Instagram, it would be like thousands. Like one week I gained like 20,000 followers. I was getting all these DMs. People were sending me free stuff, you know, and I was like, oh, this is this is kind of cool. I mean, there was that's the good. There's the bad side too, you know, the mean DMs, the mean comments, the trolls, things like that. So it wasn't all fun, but I'm grateful for the experience. I'm glad I did it. That's that's awesome. Yeah. It's it's always great when you can kind of see the 
the silver lining and, and, you know, what you can gain from it as well. I'm curious, you know, as a fellow physician, do you get, cause I get these on my Instagram and I, I don't have nearly the following you have, but do you get people asking for like medical advice, like, or, you know, crazy medical comments? Like I get, I get people that say, Hey, can you read my chest x-ray for me? Or like, <laughs> you know, all this stuff. I mean, it's, it's like insane that people do that. <laughs> Well, I, I'm a little bit shielded from it because I guess no one can ask if I can put them to sleep for surgery over the internet. Um, but I do get occasional questions about like, oh, I've been having headaches. Like, what should I do? And I'm like, go see your doctor, you know? Yeah. Um, what's really funny is that I get a lot of skin questions and people will like DM me rashes and stuff and be like, you know, what is this? And I'm like, First of all, I'm not a dermatologist, but I'm flattered that you think that I am one because I always think they have the best skin. And in the hospital, I remember they were always the best dressed. Um, but I'm like, I don't do skin conditions. All I know is wear SPF every day and moisturize. Okay. That's it. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. I feel like even just family members, the common medical questions are always like skin or heart disease or things like that. I, I don't know anything about skin. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that much about skin either, except, you know, as a skincare product user, and I can sure. tell you like my favorite cleansers and serums and toners, but like, I don't do rashes. Yeah. 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 So I'm curious, you know, I've had a couple doctors on, I think you may know Ricky Brown. He's a plastic surgeon. Oh my on... gosh. I love him. Yeah. We were together not too long ago doing something, but he's hilarious. Yeah. He's such a cool guy. and so funny. And you know, his, his social media has really, you know, expanded a lot. And so I was talking with him about what kind of his goals have been as a result of that. So I'm curious, you know, before you obviously you didn't care as much about social media. Now you've got this massive following. Is there anything you try to do with your content uh, now as a result of kind of gaining this, this large following and popularity? You know, a lot of physicians use their platforms for like medical education. And that's when you look at it, that's largely what it is. I never intended my social media to be for medical education. I made my social media mostly during quarantine when I was bored out of my mind. And because my then 15 year old made me do it. I was doing TikTok dances with her. And, you know, one of my videos went viral and I got all these followers and I was like, you know, this is kind of fun. And what people have to remember is that when I go to the operating room every day at Parkland Hospital, which is like Dallas County's public hospital, we get trauma, we get advanced stage disease, you know, um, indigent patients, that kind of thing. There's not a lot of my job that is creative, fun or funny. Those are not adjectives I would use to describe my job. So when I get home, I don't really want to talk about medicine. I want to make silly TikTok videos or talk about purses and skincare and makeup or do funny things with my kids. And so my TikTok is just a mishmash of my life. It's just Tiffany Moon. This is who I am. Sometimes I talk about medicine. Sometimes I talk about other things. But I never intended to like make a platform with a goal. I sort of just did it as like a personal diary. I mean, sometimes my kids and I will scroll up and we'll be like, oh my gosh, you guys remember when we made this glow stick TikTok and we danced and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like that. And, and if people want to watch and follow along, then great. But I never made it like for other people. I made it for myself. Yeah, that's probably the best way. I mean, it's we live lead these busy lives in medicine. It's probably a great outlet for, you know, like you said, you can leave work at work and kind of use that creative outlet, which I think is pretty cool. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that you're an entrepreneur. So maybe tell us a little bit about your your entrepreneurial endeavors and how you got involved in that. I know you have a company that 
uh, produces candles and then you have a wine company as well. So I think that's, that's always interesting when physicians kind of expand into other areas, especially non-medical entrepreneurial endeavors. I think that's always really interesting. Yeah. Well, I don't have any medical ideas. And if I did Southwestern, <laughs> it would probably take, you know, half of my intellectual property anyway. So, um, the, the wine company, I started with my husband in 2009 when I was in residency because I did my residency at UCSF and he would come up when I had a golden weekend or something. And we drive to Napa and, you know, go taste wine and stuff. We ended up making, um, friends with a winemaker and he said, you know, if you want, I can help you make your own wine and bottle it under your own name. And we thought, how cool is that? So we got together with a few other family members and all pitched in for a few barrels and made our own Three Moons wine. And the very first vintage was like 2008 or 2009. Um, and we never intended that to be a business, but we would give bottles away to our friends and family for Christmas or birthdays. And people would always ask us, like, where can I get another bottle of that wine that you gave me for my birthday? And one day I was like, you know, I think if we made more of this wine, we could probably sell it. So we found a distributor, got licensing, all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden we were like a small boutique winery, but we don't have a huge production. Like we're not in restaurants. We're not in like specs or total wine and more. So we're in a private wine um, club that is in Dallas called Roots and Water. And we only sell out of them. We have parties. We serve it at our house, that sort of thing. So it's really a passion project. And I don't really think we're making much money off of it. You know, it's, it really is just for the love of sharing our wine with people. The candle business was born out of COVID in March of 2020, when all our family vacations got canceled, two international anesthesia conferences I was going to got canceled. And I found all this extra time on my hands. So I started playing around with aromatherapy oils and blending them and making candles and I didn't know what to name them other than like Jasmine Bamboo. And I'm like, well, that's not very, you know, funny or what. I wanted the candles to be funny, which is a weird thing to say. But I was like, I'll name them after anesthetic drugs. And then I'll give them taglines. And on the back of the candles, they'll say like indications for use. Like I'm burning epinephrine right now. And one of the indications for use is like if you have a case of the blahs, you know, and epinephrine's tagline is for humans who need resuscitation stat. Like, so they're all like funny, but like nurses and doctors and pharmacists get it. But my friends that are not medical, they're like, girl, I can't even pronounce the name of this candle. It smells really good. What's that candle? And I'm like, oh, that's Sugamidex. And they're like, oh, couldn't you have made your candles named after things that we can actually pronounce? And I was like, you know, I didn't think of that back in March of 2020 <laughs> when I was creating these candles. I never really thought that I would have a real business. And then my I sent COVID care packages of these candles out to all my healthcare workers. This is back when we were all healthcare heroes before people stopped listening to us. And my friend said, you know, I think you should sell these candles online. They're fabulous. They're quirky. They're funny. So I made a website, slapped some iPhone pictures up there. And in the first month that I had this candle business up, we sold 500 candles. And I was like, holy crap, wow. like I better get in the basement and start pouring. We were up <laughs> until like two o'clock in the morning, pouring candles so that we could fill these orders. And that, you know, that's what I say. I became an accidental entrepreneur chasing my passion for something that I love. That's really cool. I think in some ways, those are often the best opportunities, the ones that we kind of serendipitously, you know, come across. And 
like you said, it was kind of born out of the pandemic and again, was kind of a creative outlet. It sounds like for you when you integrated a little bit of medicine in, which is kind of cool. Uh, so I'm curious, do you, are, do you have like an online, you know, website and everything? And then are you selling in stores and stuff like that? How, what's your like distribution look like for that? Um, well, we no longer pour the candles in my basement because that was getting crazy. <laughs> so I found a lab here in Dallas to pour my candles for me, but, um, they're on my website, which is just shop.tiffanymoonmd.com. It's almost all online. There's a few spas and medical spas that my friends have around Dallas where they carry some of it and they sell it to their customers and stuff. But I would say like 95% of my business is all online. Interesting. And I guess what's your, are you just kind of seeing where things go or are you, are there any plans to expand or add new products or anything like that? Well, I started out with propofol was the OG candle. <laughs> that one smells like rose current. And of course that one's tagline is for humans who need a nap. Mm. Um, and then I made more after that. And so now we have 20 cents. So I think I'm going to stop because 20 seems like a nice round number. Um, and then eventually I would like to get into like a Nordstrom's or a Neiman Marcus. That would be so cool to just walk into a Nordstrom's and see like an aromasthesia candle display. I think I would totally freak out. Um, but right now, because I'm so busy with work and the kids and everything else, I haven't really pursued that. But eventually I think that would be the goal. Interesting. I'm curious, you mentioned that you had got into speaking as well. Was that something you did you know, prior to uh, the show and everything, or is that something you've kind of become more involved with uh, lately? And like, what kind of speaking engagements do you do? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I, after the show, one of my friends said, I'm having a conference for women entrepreneurs. And I know that you started your candle line. And, you know, I used to always tell her about all the mistakes that I had made as an entrepreneur. Cause you, I'm sort of learning as I go. I mean, I have a bachelor's in neurobiology. Like I have no business background whatsoever. Thank God my uh, husband was a business major and he'll help me and do stuff like that. But, you know, like LLC versus S Corp, I was like, what? The, I don't know what the, I don't know what's the advantage. And like, I had to learn all this stuff. And so she said, why don't you come and share some of your wisdom with these other female entrepreneurs at this conference and I'll pay you a thousand bucks. And I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, public speaking is not really my forte, but like I've given, I mean, if you look on my CV, the number of invited grand rounds and like meeting presentations I've done is probably like 30 or 40. And one day I was like, oh my God, all those talks that I did that are on my CV, I did for free, right? Because it's prestigious to be invited to speak at the ASA. But now I could speak about my business stuff and be paid and they pay for my airfare and hotel and stuff. So now I'm sort of like advertising myself out there. And this just happened within the last year to all these meetings that are sort of like women in business, women leadership, personal development, you know, those sorts of things. And I'm like, hey, do you need a speaker? Want to fly me out to Orlando and pay for my hotel? And people like a lot of the times you'd be surprised. They're like, we'd love to have you. That's really cool. That's awesome. I mean, it's fun. Yeah. You know, you mentioned we do a fair amount of speaking when they than we realize in medicine, you know, with, you know, lectures or grand rounds. And it's like, what a concept that you actually get paid to do that. I think it's something in medicine, like you said, we do it for, I don't know, the prestige of it or the notoriety. And outside of that, you know, people, you know, they value your, your time and, you know, that your effort and uh, everything and, you know, making the trip, like you said. Uh, so that's pretty cool. You've gotten invo uh, involved. Are these mainly like conferences or do you go to companies and stuff too? Or 
so far it's just conferences. I haven't broken into like corporate talks because um, I don't know if my talks are really geared toward the corporate market, but I don't know, you know, 10 years ago, I never thought that I would be a real housewife or a candle connoisseur. So never say never. I don't know where, you know, things might take me. That's, that's uh, really interesting. I guess, I guess when you give your talks, what is your like kind of, what are your kind of your main advice that you get? What's the main advice you give for like starting out a company? I'd just be curious, you know, what are some of the, like maybe one of the two things you've learned from the process? I always say that it has to be something that you're really passionate about. Like people think it's so dumb. My mother made fun of me when I told her I was going to sell candles online. She's like, you sell candle online? Tiffany, they cannot smell online. And I was like, ma. Like, I know you can't smell a candle through the internet, but I'm going to try to put a description on there so that people can, you know, it evokes a smell. And she just was like, nobody's going to buy your candles and all this stuff. And when I got, you know, all those orders that came in, you better believe I rubbed that in my mother's face. I was like, look at all these orders I got, mom. It has to be something that you love. Like, I love candles. I love wine. If it's not something that you're like super geeky, passionate about, it's going to get old real quick. Like if I had to do like a chocolate business or like a vitamin business, I'd be like, blah, like I don't like chocolate. I don't care about vitamins, you know, like just eat instead. Um, And the other thing is you have to get your systems and processes in order. For us, like during COVID, we ran out of glass, which I know sounds like the stupidest thing, but we had wax, we had oil, we had wicks, we had shipping containers, and the glass was back ordered, like a specific glass vessel. And then we tried to order another glass, but the other glass doesn't fit in our box because the custom box that I have is especially formulated for this glass jar because it holds it. Because the first, I don't know, 100 orders that we sent out, we had like a 10 percent candles breakage rate because apparently UPS was like playing kickball with their packages. So then I got this custom insert that really insulates the box and we dropped it like from my second floor window, like outside the garage door and it didn't break. And we were like, okay, it passed the QC test. So you have to like do all these things because as a business owner, like everything is your responsibility. You know, I had to incorporate it. I filed a um, trademark with the U.S. Patent Office. So now the name Aromesthesia, we have that little R circle um, superscript because it's a registered trademark. Like all that stuff took time and energy. And if it isn't something that you absolutely love, you won't feel passionate about doing it like a year or two or five from now. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I I have a small business that I produce this podcast with for with you know video courses and books, and and now I'm in, into podcasting. And it's I think what you say is so true. People ask me like how I fit this podcast inning on top of clinical work and stuff, and I just love doing it. I mean, I meet people like yourself, and I you know hear about all these unique experiences. And it, I think if I had if it became a chore, I you know then I definitely wouldn't do it. I wouldn't have the energy to do it. Um, so I think what you're saying is so true, and I think that's so funny how you had to test the products. It's amazing. Like, like there's all these things that come up that you don't even think of, you know, like you said, with the glass and having to fit it into the box and stuff like that. You know, I get emails, like you said, from the people who think like my logo trademarked on, or like infringed on their trademark. And I was like, Hey, I'm not trying to, you know, infringe on anybody. <laughs> yeah, I know <laughs> people, people get so upset. I got a DM that was like, you stole this idea from a nurse. Like a nurse was the person who first created propofol candle. I was like, what? 
Like just because two people have the same idea does not mean that like one person stole it from another. Do you know what I mean? Like I've, yeah. I've been joking with my friends about a propofol candle for like years, but it was sort of a joke and I never had time to make it happen until COVID. But yeah, people just get so like sensitive about things these days. Yeah. Yeah. And they always think, you know, they're always quick to say, oh, I could have thought of that or I could have done it. But then, I mean, like you said, in your scenario, I mean, you're the one that actually did it. You know, you took the time, you, you know, took the risk, you know, started the business and everything like that. So I think there's, there's a big difference between thinking of something and then actually like doing it. I mean, good ideas are a dime a dozen these days. <laughs> I say that all the time. You're exactly right. I'm like, ideas are cheap, baby. Execution is expensive. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm curious, you know, what, what's your advice? You know, you're seeing a lot of these physicians, you know, get involved in like social media or media parent appearances. I think it's kind of a more, you know, in the old days, it was doctors kind of stayed in their silos and practiced and didn't really get involved. And then now you're seeing, you know, more and more physicians become, you know, social media influencers or start podcasts or, you know, you know, be on TV and things like that. I guess, do you think that's been good for the field of, of medicine as a whole? And do you think, I guess, what do you think have kind of been some good benefits of that for both the field and I guess maybe the public as well. I mean, I love it. I love seeing doctors on social media, on TV. I think it makes us more relatable. I think a lot of doctors are out there dispelling myths um, and doing a lot of educational content. I love that. And then some of us, like me, you know, 90% of the time I'm on social media, I'm not there as Dr. Tiffany Moon. I'm just there as Tiffany Moon, fashion lover, Tiffany Moon, mom, you know, Tiffany Moon, who likes to go out and try new restaurants. And it kind of humanizes us in a way, because I don't believe in this concept of like, oh, you're a doctor, you know? And so what, we're not supposed to be silly or, you know, cheer at a football game when our team has a touchdown, like we're still people too. And don't you want your doctor to be well-adjusted and happy and have extracurricular activities and hobbies so that when they go to work, they're the best version of the doctor that's treating you? Like, do you want your doctor to have no person? personality and just, you know, be like that old school surgeon that's just crotchety and rickety and spends, you know, Christmas day in the hospital operating and his kids don't even know who he is like, no. And I think social media is helping the public perception that, you know, we are also people. Yeah, definitely. I think it, like you said, it humanizes, uh, it humanizes us as people and, you know, people realize that we're people just like anybody else. And and I think it helps with maybe the burnout too. You know, doctors are finding kind of a creative outlet like you've talked about and it's kind of, and also using their platform as a way to highlight that, you know, so that we can, you know, make changes in that regard and things like that. I guess what, what's your advice for, you know, physicians that want to get involved in kind of like media or speaking or those types of things? What, I guess, what would you think are the best ways maybe to find those opportunities and, and, or, and get involved? I say, you know, for social media, which largely is TikTok and Instagram, some people do YouTube for long form content. I say just do it. Like there's no like, oh, let me study. Let me read a book. Like you just have to start doing it or find somebody that you look up to or find a mentor, look at their page and start doing what they're doing. You know, it's it's not really that hard, you know, take a picture at a new restaurant, take a picture when you're on vacation or try a video thing. Like you just have to try different things and then something will hit or you'll enjoy doing something particularly more than other things and then just keep doing it. 
Um, there's really no, you know, like secret sauce. You just have to go for it. And in terms of speaking, I say, you know, just start small, like maybe speak to a local group of high school students on like career day, right? Like explain your specialty, especially for like radiology or interventional radiology, anesthesia, like high school students have no clue what you're talking about. When you say doctor, like all they think about is like pediatrician in the office. They check your reflexes. They listen to your heart. You know what I mean? Um, so start small, maybe have to do a couple of, um, free gigs just to kind of get your feet wet and then start reaching out to people at conferences that you think you would be a good speaker at. And you just have to put yourself out there. Like what's the worst that could happen? They say, no, then you're exactly where you were anyway. I think that's so true. You know, you just got to go for it. I think when I started this podcast, it was just, you know, friends of mine that I went to med school with and, you know, we just kind of had these unscripted conversations and it's, crazy. It's just evolved into it, you know, having great conversations with all different types of people and different, you know, people involved in really interesting and innovative things. And, uh, it's, it's funny, I, you know, my first few episodes were not, you know, are very different now <laughs> than they are now, you know, it was the audio is kind of granular and, and, you know, it was less scripted and things like that. So I think it's, I think what you're saying is so true. You, it's an iterative process. It's just like anything else. I think that's so true. I guess kind of as we close things out, I guess, how do you, how do you balance all of these things you're doing? Like, what is, I always like to ask people who are like super busy and balancing, you know, all these different things at once, I guess, what is your, maybe you have a secret sauce. Maybe you just, again, it's maybe it's just an iterative process. <laughs> I mean, I work very hard as I'm sure most of your guests on this podcast do. I also have learned to prioritize what I do. Um, I, things that do not require me to do, I no longer do. I don't do laundry and I don't do the dishes. I did for years in my house. And then when I, you know, started being paid to do social media advertisements and give talks and stuff, I thought, you know, with this two hours, I can prepare for my talk that I'm going to enjoy and in hopefully inspire people with and be paid X amount, or I can sit here and fold laundry. And I chose what to do. And I get that I was given that choice and I'm fortunate enough to be able to make that choice. Some people don't have that choice. They have to do their own laundry. That's not what I'm saying here. The things that I feel like I'm focusing on now are the things that are important to me, spending time with my family, personal development, things of that sort. And the things that I don't need to do, like pick up the dry cleaning, meal prep, laundry, I've delegated to someone else. And I don't feel guilty about that because I'm still working. I'm just doing something else. And then the other things like exercise, reading, listening to podcasts, I schedule in my calendar because I found for those things that are important but not urgent, if I wait to do them when I have time, that's the quote, oh, I'll do that when I have time. They never get done because I never have time. So I will schedule exercise. I will schedule two hours on a Saturday or Sunday here and there. This is the time that mommy's going to be reading, listening to podcasts, reflecting, meditating, working on my strategic planning for my life and for my business. And I just block it out. And my family, they're totally um, understanding of it. And then, you know, after that, then we'll all go have dinner and go watch a movie and things like that. So that's where the balance comes in. I think that's really great advice. I think one thing I learned in, med school is, you know, you do have free time here and there and you got to use that free time. Well, otherwise you'll just find yourself staring at the wall or scrolling through Netflix on what to watch. And sometimes that's, you know, 
Netflixing and, you know, doing stuff like that is fine. But I think it's also important to think about how you spend that free time. That's something I've been kind of working on over the last few years is just to get the most out of my free time. And it sounds like, you know, you definitely make that a priority, which I think is pretty cool and probably critical for keeping yourself from going crazy. <laughs> yeah, I have to. <clears throat> and, and the funny thing is, I never realized how much free time I had until after I had kids. And then I was like, God, what did I used to do with all my free time? <laughs> I would have brunch with my friends and, you know, all sorts of things. But it's it's the kids that are really the kicker. Sure, sure. I'm sure. So I guess um, I ask everybody this to balance and you touched on this a little bit, but like outside of work, what do you, what are your passions? Like when you're not doing business and anesthesia and things like that, what are kind of your personal hobbies and, and passions, if you will? Um, I mean, you know, besides making TikToks, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't cook, I don't knit, I don't garden. Um, I do love reading. I read a lot of books. I try to read at least a new book every month or two. Um, when it's not a hundred degrees in Dallas, I like to go outside and play with my kids all summer. They were in the swimming pool. Um, I like to exercise a lot. I'm one of those people that hops around to different studios. So I'll do like yoga, then Pilates, then spin, and then, um, hit class like Barry's boot camp. So I'm just like all over the place in terms of which exercise that way I don't get bored. Um, and then, you know, when I can, I travel either with my kids or sometimes my husband and I will take a mommy and daddy only trip. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you, you know, find great ways and diverse ways to, to balance yourself as well, which is important. So I guess uh, thank you again for, you know, taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule, come on the podcast. Uh, I definitely want to plug what you're, what you're doing. So I, you could tell us maybe like your handles and where else uh, people can find the other things that you're working on. Yeah. So you can find me across all social media platforms at Tiffany Moon MD. And you can find my candles on shop.tiffanymoonmd.com and my wine at threemoonswine.com. Awesome. Awesome. We will definitely uh, link those in the description. So, Dr. Moon, thank you again for uh, your time. We really appreciate it. Really interesting hearing about your background and then all the different things that you've been working on over the years. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Da Vinci Hour podcast presented by Da Vinci Academy. Please be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow the podcast on your podcast platform of choice to catch the latest episodes. Please leave a comment or a review and share it with a friend. Lastly, you can find all of our podcasts, video courses, and books on our website, dviacademy.com. Thank you for listening.